Okay, so in this week's episode, I'm talking to Ollie, who works at an unnamed company that sends money abroad, and he works in the department detecting uh, criminal activity in those transactions. Uh, so without further ado, let's get started. Okay, so perhaps to start off with, you could tell me what your job is called, but also what that actually means. Yes. Um, sure. Okay, so my actual job title is... Um, and strap in because it's ludicrously long. Um, senior AML CTF analyst, which means uh, senior anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing analyst. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, what that actually means, um, the senior means I've been doing it for a while. Uh, everything else means um, that I work within a team called the compliance team uh, for a company that sends money overseas. And um, if you're sending money from one country to another, it means you need to uh, be aware of anti-money laundering regulation. And essentially, um, the main part of my job, at least when I first started it, um, was we would get past anything that looked suspicious, uh, any transactions that looked dodgy or that had triggered um, some kind of control within the company that made us go, well, hang on, we should check this account. Okay. And then we would investigate it and see if we could figure out what was going on or see if it was a legitimate customer who was just sending money in a way that made it seem suspicious. That's really the main, um, the main bulk of what my day-to-day job at least was when I first started. this. Okay. So um, is it that like all transactions basically go through software that is looking for some basic stuff and then you kind of, you kind of get passed on the like the ones that it flags up is that about right yeah so what you want is um most of them that don't seem at all dodgy just slip straight through you know transaction paid no problem right um and then what you want to do is anything that does seem suspicious needs to be looked at um it needs to have an initial assessment of whether or not it's actually suspicious or whether it's just been picked up um by by the rules or controls that you've put in to try and protect uh the company okay and then from there, um, that would be um, the first group of people that look at it. And then if they look at it and they think it looks, does look suspicious, they would pass it on to my team. So that's where I sit. So we're basically, um, it's after the first set of eyes have looked at it and gone, eh, then it comes to us. Okay. On top of that, though, we actually, we have our own things that we do to try and um, like generate our own um, dodgy cases. So we might have additional rules that we run at the end of every month where we look at oh this is everything that happens this month these are the specific things we're looking for because we've seen it before we know that that's probably money laundering or you know whatever and we would set up rules to try and catch that stuff specifically based on what we've seen before uh, okay yeah so so, um, oh, so you go um <laughs> so to flip this around a little bit say i was trying to send money abroad what sort of thing should I not be doing that you're getting flagged up? <laughs> I don't want to get too into what the controls we have are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but um, usually a good indication of, well, hang on, what's going on here? Is if someone's sending money in a way that doesn't really make sense. So let's say you're able to send, you want to send 50 grand from one country to another, and there's no restrictions on that. Our company would let you do a 50 grand transaction from one place, from, from country A to country B. Because it's if you a, then a comp- is a cut like on a you so this is a kind of on a are, the, are these individuals who would be doing that or is it companies? Yes. Okay. No, it's individuals. Yeah, it's it's so if you had friends, family abroad, whatever, 
um, and you wanted to send money to them, this would be your way of doing that. Okay, yeah. Um, so let's say you wanted to send 50 grand. Maybe you're, I don't know, putting a deposit on a house or buying yourself a fancy ass car. I don't know, whatever. Uh, yeah, so let's say you're sending 50 grand from one country to another. If you decided to send that as, um, I don't know, 25 2,000 pound transactions and on every transaction you were paying a fee, then we might go, well, hang on. He could pay one slightly larger fee and save a ton of money over the course of all those transactions, but instead they chose to send money in a really unusual way. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It makes you go, well, was that intentional? Did they do that specifically to try and slip under any controls you had? Maybe they're just, you know, you do get it where sometimes a customer maybe is ill-informed or just not that good with money, and that to them is the easiest way to do it. Okay. But that's why we would investigate it. We would potentially reach out to the customer and ask them, why they sent that way, what the, you know, what the source of their funds was, that kind of thing. Okay, that makes sense. So basically, we're just looking for stuff that is um, unusual um, or suspicious. There's sometimes, we call it a typology, is when there's a specific set of behaviors we've identified that is associated with something we don't want to do business with. Um, and it's not all illegal. Sometimes it's just, um, it's things that you don't want your business to be associated with. Okay, yeah. So um, you've kind of got to think about the risks involved and if reputational risk is a big problem, like for example, scams. If someone's sending money to a scam artist, we're not gonna get in trouble for allowing that to happen. Yeah. But do we want to be the company that is associated with, you know, oh yeah, that's the company where all the scammers have you send money to them. That's not great, that's not a good look. So you, it's not just whether or not something's illegal, there's other considerations as well, other types of risk you've got to kind of, uh, take into account if that makes sense okay so yeah so so you in theory people could be kind of using your company for scams and in theory that's fine for your company but you try and avoid it because yeah you don't want to be in the in the business exactly yeah, yeah. it's something i don't know if um being the middleman for that would get you in trouble with the law i think that probably it wouldn't if you just went we didn't know it was a scam if then someone reported that the person receiving money was a scam and you did nothing about it, I still don't think you'd necessarily be in trouble with the law, but it would, do you know what I mean? It's, you've got, um, you've got to think about wider issues. It's like, <laughs> I guess it's a bit, a little bit like, cause you know, people uh, go complain to their bank when they get scammed and go, can I have my money back? And they're like, no. Well, <laughs> like, exactly. um, so you might get complaints with the ombudsman or whatever that you have to deal with, um, which actually my, uh, my department rarely have that issue. It normally sits with other departments and we occasionally get asked to give our opinion, but that's about it. We don't really have much to do with those. So if we can uh, rewind a little bit, so we, we obviously we can get more into kind of what you're doing day to day, but could you just talk a little bit about like what you did before your job that kind of, if anything, kind of led you into it or whether <laughs> it's kind of a, a thing that you decided to do? Um, how did that work? Sure. Um, okay, so uh, first things first, after I left university, um, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Um, and I decided I'm going to take a year off, um, having got my, uh, my, my bachelor's degree. I'm going to take a year off, I'm going to see if I can actually get a decent job. And then if I don't, I'll nip back to university, you know, and then I'll look at doing a master's or PhD or whatever else. Um, and in that year, I got a job working for Cooperative Bank. Okay, yeah. Um, so it wasn't anything glamorous. I was a, um, basically a teller. So I was sat in a branch, you know, people come in, depositing money, withdrawing money, yada, yada, yada. Nothing too crazy, right? Um, part of that 
was uh, obviously customer service stuff. And part of it was similar to what I'm doing now, but at a more basic level. Um, we call it transaction monitoring where I'm at. But it's really just going, kind of being aware, huh, is this person doing something in a suspicious way? Like if someone you've never seen in that branch before um, rolls into your branch and has 50 grand to deposit, you know, it's like, well, should I be flagging this so that someone at head office can look into it? So that was really, um, that was one of the duties I had then. Um, and as part of that, you'd try and kind of engage people in conversation. Oh, wow, big deposit today. You know, what's, what's that from? And see if they had a reasonable excuse um, uh, as to why they had that. Um, so from there, I did that for uh, probably two-ish years. I need to get my CV out, really. I can't remember. Two years-ish, I think. Because yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, seems like a long time ago now. Um, then from there, I actually um, I, I got... Uh, offered to do a job which was similar but for the company I work for now. So instead of it being a bank, it was a, uh, an MSB, a money service business, which is taking money from one place, sending it to another one, kind of like your Western Union, that sort of yeah. thing. Um, so that was a combination of customer service and transaction monitoring then as well. So some of the time I'd be on the phones taking calls from customers. Sometimes I'd be looking at, literally we had just a list of transactions. Um, and we had to decide which ones we thought were fraud, which ones we thought might be scams, um, which ones we thought were fine and had just been flagged. Okay. It was, um, you know, literally just looking at, uh, trying to pick up on trends, trying to identify what about this is unusual. Um, and a fun part of that was actually, uh, if there was one that we thought was suspicious, we would call up a customer and say, hey, just a few questions about the transaction you've, uh, you've put through. So uh, obviously you get to hear every excuse under the sun when, when people are doing something dodgy and they really don't want to tell you, but you phone them up and they know that if they don't talk to you a bit, you're just going to cancel their transaction anyway. So yeah, was, yeah you know, that was quite an interesting job in a lot of ways, but it was, I mean, a lot of it was customer service. Um, and I, I did that for a while. I became, I was a manager there for a bit um, in that team, but then I got an opportunity to move to my current team, which is the compliance team. And that's where I sit now. So that was basically the journey was I was doing kind of basic transaction stuff at the bank and yeah. customer service stuff at the bank. I continue to do that kind of stuff within the company I'm at now. And then from there, I moved like from the first line of people looking at these suspicious, uh, suspicious transactions into the second line of people looking at those suspicious transactions. Is there a third line? Like, can you keep... There is a third line. Um, so if we're going to get, you know, into kind of... I guess, uh, compliance theory or AML theory. Um, yeah, your first line is the people that are like initially seeing these transactions. Your second line, which is, like I said, where I'm at, that's your people who are doing, um, they're making sure that your processes and controls are, you know, make, protecting the company that you work for. Um, they're maybe getting past the suspicious activity and, um, you know, if there's something to report, passing that on to the um, or in our case, the National Crime Agency, whatever um, financial intelligence unit they need to report to, they need to, um, you're actually obligated if you're a company like this. If you det uh, detect suspicious activity, you have to report it. Um, and you can get in trouble if you're, you know, if you have not done that correctly, or, you have, or you've just not been doing it. You can get big fines for not complying. Okay. Um, and then the third line is, uh, it's, it's the board of directors, typically. They're the people who are making decisions for the business. 
So um, they would be the people who decide, oh yeah, we're gonna not allow sending to this country because it's too risky, for example. Okay. That kind of thing sits with them. So that would be the third one. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so based on what you described, could you be where you are now if you hadn't gone to uni or was, was that important? Um, so that's a tough one. I definitely could have got the bank job without going to uni. So I could have got my, my foot on the ladder towards the job without having bothered. But I do believe, I, I'm pretty sure I needed a degree to move to the company I work for now. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that it was a blanket, you need to have gone to uni to do this. Do I think that if I'd applied and um, there hadn't been, you know, let's say I had some decent experience at the bank and I, let's be honest, if my CV looked shit hot, I don't think they would have gone, like, it doesn't have a degree. Like, it was quite a small company when I started with them. I've been with them um, almost six years now. So, like, do you know what I mean? It's grown a lot in that time. Yeah. Maybe these days it would be a lot more like, you don't have a degree, I'm sorry, you're, you're stricken off the, the list. But I imagine back then you would have been okay. So okay. I guess if, you, if you're aiming for a startup or something and you've got some great experience, I imagine they're going to care a bit less than uh, when it's a big company. Yeah, it kind of seems like big companies just basically go through a filter of, do they have degree in anything? And it's like, yes, okay, you can go on to the next level. Like, do you have degree? Yeah. No, see you later. It doesn't matter what you've got. Just, uh, well, exactly, yeah. It's, it's quite, so employee screening isn't something I have much to do with, but it kind of falls under my department. And it's that sort of thing that you're, you're just setting, immediately you're setting apart one group of people from another. For the record, my employees, you don't need to include this. This is just a side point. My employee screening is basically, is this person likely to sabotage the company? <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that, that my department would look into, but it's not looked after by me. So I, I got nothing to say on that. Okay, because I was just about to say, um, to kind of get into this kind of work, because obviously to be a, a teacher, I have to do like screening to check I'm, I haven't got a criminal record and stuff. If you're going to be, but you're working for a private company, so I guess... I imagine, okay, let me put it like this. They, they, legally, they don't have to do employee screening to check that I'm not, um, not a bad one, but they would be very foolish to employ me if, for example, I'd been to jail for money laundering and I was going to be doing a job where uh, I was going to be saying, this transaction's fine. I don't think it's money laundering. Do you know what I mean? Um, there would be a clear, a clear area of concern there. Oh, is it, is it, oh, it's Catch Me If You Can, where he ends up being employed by all the banks to like head up their anti-frauds. <laughs> I've not seen the movie, but I'll take your word for it. I could, <laughs> with a title like Catch Me If You Can, I could believe it. If you haven't seen it, you are really missing out. It's one of my favorite movies. Like, it's oh, yeah? pretty good. Um, but yeah, with, with I, I shall make a note. <laughs> I tracked and talking about that. Look before. at my mighty post-it note where I have uh, another show that someone told me to watch years ago. I still have a post-it and I never watched it. So there you go. Love is blind, apparently. Oh, that okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that is also good. <laughs> is it really? Um, okay. Well, they're both on my post-it note now. That's a level of some level of organisation, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. I, literally written down with my <laughs> pencil uh, yeah it'll be two hours or however long it is well spent uh, it's it's quite it's quite old now actually but uh yeah it's pretty good sure um okay so getting back to the the, the main theme of stuff so um talking more like what you're kind of doing day to day without obviously getting too specific because uh, there'll be a lot you can't talk about um you arrive at the office what do you do um, okay, so two days a week, because um, I've been um, in this team for quite a while, I'm now one of the more senior members of the team. So I'm not doing 
as much day-to-day, -day, uh, we, we call it casework. That's when you're getting uh, stuff passed to you from the customer service team or one of the other sources where we go, this is suspicious, let's investigate it. Okay. Um, so two days a week I'm doing that. That's um, literally we'll have um, the cases dished out. You look through the ones that are in your name and you try to figure out what's going on. Reach out to the customer if you need to, that sort of thing, right? Would that be like the equivalent of uh, being like a police detective, as in you're the one who's actually been handed the file and you're like, I will actually do the personal investigating? Uh, nowhere near as cool as that, but yes, kind of. Um, so it will be, yeah, I'll, I'll look into it on that day. Um, let's say I email the customer and a day that I'm not on cases, they've responded. One of my other teammates would look into it for me, as it were. But I'd be leaving notes saying, well, this is my suspicion. They're sending money um, in a way that I find suspicious for this reason. They're sending to this corridor, which has been associated. Oh, sorry, corridor is just one country to another country, basically. They're sending this country to this country, and that's why we're, you know, that's what my concern is. Um, and these are the things that I want from them, like document-wise or information-wise. Okay. Yeah. So they would be able to pick that up, look at the information that the customer has given us, and decide whether or not that's acceptable. Okay. Um, so yeah, nowhere near as cool as I'm not like you know tracking the streets in a trench coat or anything like that. Nowhere near as exciting as what you're picturing. <laughs> um, on top of that. Uh, if we find something suspicious, so let's say it's someone who is uh, money laundering, for the sake of argument, um, I, I already said as a company we are obligated to report suspicious activity, uh, and actually part of my job would be writing up the case um, to go, well, this person was doing these things, uh, they wouldn't provide this information, we found that suspicious, and then passing that information to the relevant financial intelligence unit that needs to look at it. So in the UK, that would be the National Crime Agency. I, I, and I, I suspect that that would be right in those reports, presumably could form part of a legal case. So I imagine you have to be quite careful with what you're putting on those. You definitely need to be accurate because, um, okay, let's, let's say Mr. Money Launderer that we're talking about here. So let's say Mr. Money Launderer, um, we pass it to the National Crime Agency and they already had suspicion on this guy, right? Like, let's say previously they've been looking into him and then we've done a report that says, hey, Mr. Money Launderer has been bad. Okay. We think that he's laundering money through our company. Um, what they would probably then do is reach out, um, may, probably to us and maybe other companies as well and say, do you have any more information on this person? And then from that, if they thought there was a case there, we might have to do a witness statement to say, this information that I've given is truthful, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, and they could either just use that statement in court or they could summon us to actually answer questions. So far, uh, touch wood, I have not had to go to court. I can't imagine anything more stressful. I do not want to. Um, but I have signed a number of witness statements um, in the last few years where, you know, they've either they've contacted us out of the blue, has this person sent with the company, or we have submitted a suspicious activity report and they have gone, oh, yes. This is something we want to see more of. Please give us more information and a witness statement. And we're like, okay. okay. Uh, are you concerned that some defense lawyer is going to uh, tear you apart with your uh, past history? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm more worried that they're going to go, oh man, um, we know that you appeared on a podcast with Samuel Burroughs some years ago, and he's a very dodgy fellow. So we're not sure we can take anything you say as uh, credible anymore because uh, the, these, un these ungainly characters that you're associated with... Uh, um, no, no, uh, genuinely, yeah, I, I think it would be really stressful being on a stand knowing full well that someone's trying to catch you out.
Because I can't imagine for a second they would summon me there just to go, yeah, look, these transactions show this, which is what my report said, which is why I wrote a report. Yeah, as if it wouldn't be any point. That's what, the statement does that. That's why I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled I've never been called into the, uh, into the dock yet. <laughs> okay. that was that was that was two days a week you're just basically that's two days on, a week on case, case, on based on cases and so far have not been summoned to court about yes. the things that you've written about them yeah exactly so that's that's probably two days maybe a third day because um writing those reports we sometimes let people have other time um so on top of that what we also uh part of our uh, important work we need to do is checking that other areas of the business are where they should be so for um, if, if you're an MSB, uh, money service business, I'm going to keep saying it, um, then you, for example, everyone in the company, every single employee needs to have done anti-money laundering training. Okay. So even if you are never going to touch a transaction where you need to know about money laundering, you still need to know about what anti-money laundering is. Okay. For example, that is one of the things that we would need to interact with other departments for. Then we also might want to do quality control on, for example, the first line of defense, the people that are looking at suspicious transactions and passing them to us. We might want to make sure that they're doing things the way we want them to, uh, not releasing certain transactions, um, you know, that kind of thing. Making sure that, you know, the stuff that we really need to not be released, that they are holding that stuff for us and not sending those funds, that kind of thing. Okay. So there's a lot of um, quality control and setting up um, a control against essentially um, cocking up and getting yourself a fine from the regulator. So there's a lot of that. Um, what else have we got? Um, because it's the beginning of the month, I've spent the last few days putting a lot of information together, um, just like information for higher ups in my department so that they can have an overview of, okay, um, this is the number of transactions we did. This is how many were treated as suspicious. Uh, this is how many suspicious activity reports we got out of that do you know what i mean like really it's um an overview of what is going on within the department and within the company from our perspective so there's been a lot of putting that together and uh that sort of thing okay this is where my job gets a bit complicated because on top of that i also um i taught myself to write um sql queries uh, yep. oh god probably a year and a half ago now bloody hell i remember so instead of reaching out to a data team when we need information I can usually just sort it myself. So uh, a lot of what I do is with that MI is pulling information from SQL rather than us having to set things up with a data team. Okay. And have a, so there's a lot of that sort of thing. I'm trying to remember what else I've done this week to be honest. It's starting to, it was a bit of a hectic one. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that's kind of one of the things I actually, I sort of discover talking to a, quite a few people now is just how every job just seems to have so many different things on the go at the same yes. time that you kind of have to be on top of. Like no one basically just has like one thing that they're doing and then they go home. It's just like, no, today I was doing this and then this and then this. I'm like, yeah related to each other like <laughs> and that's what's interesting i remember when we were at the pub the other day and, and we were talking about your podcast and i said it's funny that um when i first started doing this and i first got my job title um i was just spending literally every day was either writing the suspicious activity reports or looking at cases and finding that stuff with a little bit of when i had spare time trying to improve processes or like write down this is how we do things in a very clear way so that that's actually one of the more important things we do is making sure everything is recorded and everything's written in a way that is clear to follow mm -hmm. uh 
it, you know, if we get audited by our regulators, for example, we want to be able to go, well, this is why we did things this way. This is how we always treat this type of customer, blah, 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 blah. So there was a tiny bit of that, but most of the time I was just looking at cases and just doing suspicious activity reports. Um, my job title has not changed in three and a half years, but what I'm doing is enormously different. So it's really difficult to tell from a job title, I think, what that actually means. And that's why this podcast is probably quite helpful. Uh, yeah, right? one of the things I was kind of going for, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like we talked about. You kind of get, especially like, you know, people have some idea of some jobs. So like, you know, you tell someone they're a doctor, you're like, okay, so they probably work at a hospital. But even then, you don't know what they actually like, well, exactly. At all, you might meet up with them a few weeks later and be like, "Man, you know, I'm having this horrible pain in, uh, in, in right here. Actually, it, I don't know if it's." And they go, "Oh, I'm exclusively a proctologist. I can't help you with that. It's, you know, I'm very much the other end. That's not something I can help with." Um. So, so in your work, like based on what you've described, is a lot of it kind of your kind of on your own working through stuff, or is it a lot of it? Is a lot of it kind of like being in meetings, like working with people, like how does that kind of work? Um, when I started, it was very much the odd meeting here and there, but not many. Do you know what I mean? It was really, um, you know, knock out your cases. We'll have meetings here and there to keep you in the loop about what's going on. But really, as long as you're getting all of your cases done, writing, you know, a reasonable number of uh, suspicious activity reports, we're not really too concerned. Um, these days, because like I said, I'm, I'm now one of the more senior members of the team. Um, you know, God help my poor company. Uh, they, uh, they, there's a lot more meetings and discussions where I get pulled into. Uh, actually, not so much recently, but I've had it before where other teams have gone. We really need a compliance opinion on this thing that we're trying to do. Let's have someone in the compliance team be there, and then you turn up. And um, I mean, not always, but typically because you're the compliance person who's like, yeah, no, we shouldn't do that. You're usually the person kind of shitting on everyone's ideas. <laughs> it, it's, it feel, I'm not going to lie. There was, um, um, there was one meeting where I was super, super ill that day. I probably shouldn't have been in, but we were crazy busy. And I went to this meeting and I thought it was an hour. And it was a meeting where the whole purpose was they had a bunch of people from different departments all to spitball ideas to improve... Um, like customer satisfaction, like getting customers from the initial point where they turn up and they go, yes, this is the company I want to send money with. And the point where the funds are paid and they were talking about ways we could improve that. But a lot of the ideas people had were like, oh, well, why are we asking for documents from people? Let's not bother. I'm like, no, if we think they're suspicious, we're stopping the transaction. And we're asking for documents first. We're not letting a, like a huge amount of money filter through the company because it's going to upset a couple of people you've got to have priorities here <laughs> so it wasn't one of those meetings where there are no bad ideas it was one of those meetings where there was no bad ideas for about five seconds until i got a chance to speak and then it turns out there was a lot of bad ideas um and i'm not gonna lie i felt like such an asshole that day i was horrible and i was um like i said i was ill so i was not in the most patient mood and then i found out about 10 minutes into the meeting it was a two-hour meeting and i was just like Oh my God, I had other stuff I needed to do. It was a nightmare, that one. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of bits where they were like, well, why do we ask for this? And I had to be like, well, we, we really have to. That's something that we need. Oh, why do we get, why are we bothering to get the customer's um, details? Like, we have to know who is sending money. Like, it was a lot of ideas where it was, 
I, I'm exaggerating that last one. There weren't any quite as bad as that, but there was ones where you was like, well, we have to ask for, there's limits for where we have to ask for an ID. We can't not ask a customer for ID if they turn up and send 10 grand. Like, right, that's, I guess. that's the regulations. That's the, <laughs> the money laundering uh, directives that we have as part of the EU. So uh, incidentally, that might be a space to watch after Brexit. Okay, so kind of uh, with, uh, without being too specific, can you like, like, I guess the thing that probably interests people the most would be like the, the, a lot of the casework type stuff, just because I guess that's where it meets the sure. reality that people actually kind of deal yeah, with. Yeah, sure. So um, you, like, you, you can ask me for a story. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, getting? that's exactly where I'm going with this. Okay, I thought it might be. Um, well, that's, do you know what? Um, I'm, go I'm, I'm going to obviously not be using any real names and stuff like that because that's a data protection issue. So um, any example names that I give during the story are completely theoretical examples. Um, so we had a guy, um, and this is one of my favorite stories to tell, by the way. We had a bloke who, um, he was sending money from uh, the UK, I think to Kenya or Nigeria, I can't remember which. But he was sending a large amount, it was like 10 grand, it was his first transaction with us, and his name's like John Smith or something. Like really English name. Probably, you know what I mean? Like, my initial thought isn't this guy is Kenyan or Nigerian. Maybe he is, but that's why we're going to reach out to him and ask him to give us some details. And so we said, hey, look, you know, give us an ID. Tell us who, you know, who it is you're sending to and what the purpose of your funds is. What are you, what are you sending for? And the, uh, the guy goes, oh, I'm sending money to a goddess. And like, immediately, eyebrow raised, right? Uh, okay. And he goes, yep, he, I'm sending money to this goddess who is going to, um, by her receiving this money, it's going to make my life better because she's going to look favorably upon me, right? Um, so the idea is, it's basically a donation to this lady who's going to bless him. It's, I guess, like, let's, let, you know, so we're like, yes, yeah, scam. Sod that. We're not releasing this transaction. But um, actually, it was a little more devious than that. We had the, um, he provided the email address for the recipient, mm -hmm. uh, for, for the goddess. And we literally, all we did was Google it. We didn't even do anything exciting with it. It was, it was ridiculous, this case. Um, we popped in Google and there was a forum where the, uh, the email address was on the forum post going, hey, um, so if anyone would like to sell me your kidneys, this is, uh, you know, please get in touch with me and I will pay you a thousand US dollars and we will remove your kidneys and uh, yeah, everyone will be happy. Good times. So it was a uh, organ harvesting ring, basically. The guy was sending money to try and buy, presumably buy a kidney um, from this nefarious character. Wow. Yeah. This is why I said it's not for everyone, mate. This is, my, my nieces and nephews will not hear this story until they are much older than they are. So you're going to say the person on the other end was like a crown prince of the royal family <laughs> who found a chest I mean, of gold. You joke. I still, fairly often, we still see people sending money to a prince in Nigeria. Like, every sitcom I can think of has an episode where somebody falls for the prince of nigeria scamming you and i still see it pretty goddamn often so you know like when i told the story on a date i'm very careful to make sure that people don't look mortified when i'm telling because uh, <laughs> classic dating chat there well do you know what the amount of times that organ harvesting and scams <laughs> and stuff like this have come up on dates now because i have to tell what my fucking job is it always okay, is yeah. like i always end up telling stories about criminals <laughs>
I'm going to say, you, do you have it on your Tinder bio? Is that why it keeps coming up? No. <laughs> no, it's normally in person. No, it, for a start, just explaining what I do is quite complicated. Um, like doing it over text message would be a nightmare. <laughs> I really wouldn't want to have to go through all of the stuff we talked about today via text message. That would be, well, frankly, appalling. I'd hate it. You want more stories? I can keep going. <laughs> uh, let's, have, let's have one other one. That, yeah, that's okay. it. Let's go. Um, one, maybe one that's a, a bit more lighthearted. Go for whatever, whatever you think is fun. Like I, it's, it, I think it's because I think well, one of these things. I think talking about people's jobs is very easy to get kind of like bogged down in the bits that are a bit like annoying or monotonous and stuff. So I think it's quite good. Oh, for sure. Like no, that, that's certainly true. I feel like every job has the you know the the crap bits that you kind of get stuck into that you have to plod through to get out of the way. I'm quite lucky in that there's a lot of interesting bits. And even if I'm not working a case, one of my colleagues is going to put, like, they're going to show us the message going, hey, look, look what this person said they're doing. And we get to see what's going on on the case. So we get to review each other's as well. So, um, yeah, the fun ones usually come through uh, all of us. Um, we'll, we'll, go for, yeah, we'll go for a more silly one. Uh, we had a guy once who, um, again, sending a large amount. I can't remember where we were sending it to. Probably, like, Ghana or, or Nigeria or somewhere I don't know I fucking remember um, so sending a bunch of money through to um, to this place where he's clearly not um, associated with that country so we get in touch and you know maybe they'll give us an ID and it'll show that he actually is linked or whatever but we get in touch we go hey look what are you sending for what's going on here and he goes oh it's really important I get this money through to um, my my recipient in I don't know Ghana and he's got, by the way, the recipient has a standard Ghanaian name. Right, I need to make that point now. Because then when we said, what's, you know, what's the purpose of these funds? He goes, oh, I'm actually, uh, I'm sending money to Madonna. Um, she's in Ghana at the moment. She's having some problems. She isn't able to finance her own trip in Ghana. So I'm helping her out and she's definitely going to pay me back when I get back from, um, when she gets back from Ghana. And we were just like, what, what are you on about? The name of the person picking up the funds is not even Madonna. What are you doing? What, are you, what are you, honestly? Um, but yeah, he was convinced that he was sending money to Madonna. That was, every so often you get a story where you're just like, what the fuck were they thinking? I, <laughs> you definitely cut that bit. Because um, <laughs> sometimes, I'm going to say, sometimes you kind of have sympathy for the people that are falling for it. Like when they think it's their, you know, they, they've formed a relationship with this person. They think they've married them. They've been chatting for months and slowly sending a little bit of money and a little bit of money and then a bit more money and a lot more money. And it kind of gets out of hand. Yeah. I have a lot of sympathy for that. Sometimes when it's a story like I'm sending money to Madonna, but I don't know, um, Andrew Abunde is picking it up in Ghana. You're like, no, 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 they're not. And it's kind of a bit harder to be too sympathetic because you're like, oh, mate, just sit back for one minute and think about it. And it won't be, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. I guess like hearing stuff like that, though, it does play a little bit into the narrative that like only stupid people get scammed. And it's just a bit like, well, <laughs> we're getting into interesting territory here because scammers are really smart people. Mm. Like, it's very easy to write them off as, oh, Prince of Nigeria, oh. But look, right, if you think about it, if you're trying to make sure you don't waste any time, like, you're scanning people as efficiently as possible, it makes sense to come up with an absolutely 
outrageous story. And it makes sense. It's intentional. When you get a scam email, you've had this before, right? You look at a scam email and you laugh at it because the spelling mistakes and the grammar is just all over the place, yeah? Yeah. It's intentional. It's because what they want is they want people to look at that email and they want to people who are going to be completely fooled by it, despite the fact it's got spelling mistakes and it doesn't make sense and it's completely out of the blue. Why would a lawyer in Nigeria who's, on, you know, who's running the trust fund on behalf of the Prince of Nigeria be you know, emailing you out of the blue? What yeah, they yeah. want is for you to look at this email full of red flags and not pick up any of them because they know you are a prime candidate for them to make a lot of money out of. I think there's a, um, there's a free economics uh, radio episode about that. Oh, I've never... People have told me to read that for years and I've never actually done it. I've only read the first one, but I quite like the podcast that he does where he, so he basically does a, a talk, but so he like meets with experts and like talks about uh, things. And I'm pretty sure there is one about scamming people. And it's just like, yeah, they, they want to get it. So they only get replies from people they can actually scam. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense when you think about it. Cause I mean, it's very easy to write off. Oh, outrageous. You know, people only idiots fall for this. But you only have to fall for it once and you're down a lot of money. And they are intentionally trying to weed out the most vulnerable members of society to try and scam. So you've kind of got to go, these people aren't stupid. They know what they're doing. Mm. And they are trying to pull the strings to make sure they get access to the most likely people to send them money, as it were. I find this stuff fascinating, by the way. So I got really lucky because I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do. Um, and I kind of fell into a job that I actually quite enjoy. And... Or certainly there's aspects of it I find very interesting. So I'm a very lucky man. I'm well aware of that. <laughs> that. That's definitely one of the things that has come across in talking to people as well. Is, but it's like, I remember when I was at school, you were just kind of like, you're supposed to have this fixed idea of like what you want to do with your oh. life and stuff. And it's just like, it's just not like that. It's, it's certainly like, not when you're, what, how old were we when we had a fucking, um, with those careers things that were just awful with <laughs> what's his face? I'm not going to say his name. I can remember it. I'm not going to say it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They were just dreadful. And you go through like, I'm, sh I'm hoping it's better now, but you go through like a program where it's like, oh, how rate out of five, how you feel about this thing. And you get to the end of it and it's like, you should be a copywriter. And you're like, I don't know what that is. What the hell? That's such a specific thing to come out with. <laughs> I think that as, as always, there is a relevant episode of The Simpsons for this, as is, the, for every topic where there's one that every, yeah, every topic, yeah. does it and uh, it comes out with Homemaker. <laughs> brilliant yeah of course it does yeah no i honestly i i feel like it should be more socially acceptable to not know what the hell you want to do because i still like if, if i lost my job now and i couldn't go back into my let's say i couldn't get another job doing what i do i wouldn't know where to start i would just be like oh uh i got no ideas i have no clue where to go uh, yeah, you just got to jump in the tank and uh, try and swim around for a while and see yeah, what, see, what, see, what yeah. yeah, see where you can swim. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I like that. I, I, I still now sometimes wonder what I'll do when I grow up. I'm just a bit... <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I, I'm 30 recently and I, I got to, I'm trying to catch myself every time I think stuff like that. Because every so often I do something that I know is stupid and immature and short-sighted. And I'm like, I'll grow out of this habit. And I go, I'm probably, if I was going to grow out of it, I need to eat, start like pretty goddamn soon or I'm going to be a 70 year old doing the same thing. Going, oh, I'll grow out of it. 
Oh, when I changed my Zimmer frame, I'll stop then. So one of the questions would be, um, what don't people know about your job that they probably should? I bet that a lot of people barely know this job exists, frankly. Yeah. I mean, probably there's, there's not a lot of thoughts. Or when I'm talking to people about like the stuff that I'm doing, there's not a lot of thought about what's going on behind the company. So like any bank you deal with, for example, is going to have an anti-bribery policy. Feasibly, I could spend a bunch of time becoming an absolute pro at anti-bribery policies. And I could try and, I don't know, I could probably go from company to company um, lending my services for a fee, checking their anti-bribery policies and making sure it's in line with the best one. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of real niches to the stuff that's going on behind the scenes at any financial institution that I bet a lot of people have just never really thought about. Um, if you, here's a great example. So a, um, my mom and sister one time, um, I can't remember who was lending who money, but one of them decided to lend the other one money. And before they sent the money, they decided to send a one pound transaction from one of their cards to the other person's card to make sure that they had the right details, which sounds, you know, innocuous enough, right? But then they obviously sent one small transaction for a pound and then the big amount of money and the big amount of money got held for a few days. And it will be because something that a lot of, um, I'm not going to say all of them fraud is not my expertise, but I know that there's something fraudsters do sometimes to check that credit cards or bank cards that they've got the details of are not fake and that they work is they'll make a really tiny transaction before they try and do big transactions. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, my family accidentally tripped a control for that bank. That transaction got held for a while. They presumably looked at it and checked, oh, this is clearly the same family. We're not worried. And they let it go. But it's why that transaction did not take place immediately. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of stuff in the background that you, um, when you work in this job, you can pick up on. And if you didn't, you might not even think about why that happened. Yeah, because I imagine there's probably quite a lot of uh, annoyed people out there being like, why isn't this money going through? You're being like, this bank exactly. is stupid. Why can't they just like yeah. put money through? But they've tripped up something that's in the system. Exactly. And we would get that from customers where um, maybe they make an enormous transaction out of nowhere and then get upset that we need documents. Well, we don't know where this money's come from. I don't know who you are. We, of course we need to ask for stuff. It's, it's one of those things where when you're trying to think about things from the... Uh, from the perspective of financial crime, a lot of things that might seem like a, a slightly annoying inconvenience actually might make a lot of sense as a control mm. that has been intentionally implemented. Okay, so that wraps up this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to that and do tune in for the next episode.